All right, Rockbridge, my name is Matt and just want to welcome you again to our weekend services here in our six locations across Northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley. And just like you saw in that video, I, I really want to encourage you to take a trip next weekend. Take a trip to our Calhoun ministry platform for the Compassion Experience, and you can understand better uh, what we try to do as a church when, we're, when we say we're kingdom seekers and when we say live sent and how we partner with organizations like Compassion to combat extreme poverty and to help children be released from that poverty in the name of Christ. So you can register online or you can just show up, but really grab your kids, grab your family, go with your small group, and take a trip to our ministry platform in Calhoun and experience firsthand uh, just what it is like and what we try to do to make a difference in Jesus' name. Hey, also want to point out to you something that's happening this weekend, uh, Sunday night at The Link, which is exciting, is uh, a, what we're calling Parent Link. And so parents, you can come with your 6th through 12th grader and uh, see a little bit about what we do uh, in The Link to uh, really uh, help your, your son or daughter understand Jesus and, and, and Scripture and how it applies to their lives. But for you parents, Parents, we've got a special content, special presentation just about how to raise your kids and, and have wisdom in the area of entertainment, how, to, how entertainment and parenting and all of that kind of go together. So I think it'll be very, very useful and just encourage you, uh, moms, dads, guardians of 6th through 12th graders, 6 o'clock at all six of our locations. So today, as we conclude this awesome series that I've really had fun preaching uh, through Luke and the Galilean ministry of Jesus, Luke 4 through Luke 9. Uh, today, we're going to talk about this word a lot, and the word is paradox, paradox. And when I say the word paradox, I'll define it this way, a seemingly absurd or contradictory proposition that is actually true. So something that when you hear it, or, or when someone says it, you're like, that's ridiculous, that's crazy, that makes no sense. But when you really deep dive into it or really peel everything back, it's really actually true uh, that what, what's parent, that, that it's wrong, okay? Or, or that it's true and, and it's just, but it doesn't seem like it should be true. So let me give you, let me give you an example. This is a, a picture of the Golly River in West Virginia. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to, to go raft down this river. It's got like six class five, six rapids, which are the, the rapids that are really big and monstrous and dangerous and, and, and all of that. So we're, I'm in a raft like this. This isn't my particular raft. And, and literally like the first rapid or so, the, the guide, this guy in the back who's kind of trying to keep everybody safe, he says this really calmly. He goes, here's what we're going to do on this next rapid. We're going to paddle, and I'm going to steer us right into a big rock. And it's going to just bounce us right down the middle of the rapid, and we'll be fine. And now, now hitting a rock in the middle of a river in a class five, six rapid, and we'll be fine. There, there's the paradox. The, the, the paradox is, no, 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 no. We shouldn't want to hit a rock. We should want to avoid a rock. But you know what? We embraced what the, what the tour guide said. We chose to trust. And sure enough, he steered us, you know, just perfectly, boom, we hit this rock. It shot us right down the rapid. It was fun. We're hollering. Nobody died. Nobody fell out. And, and we were all great. That, that's what I mean by paradox. Here's another paradox. Here's another paradox. According to a Yale physicist, a Yale, so that's smart, right? A Yale physicist, a hitter in the game of baseball should not be able to hit 
a fastball, a 90, 95 mile per hour fastball. A Yale physicist says they should not be able to do that, right? So here's his logic. It takes 400 milliseconds, which is, about, which is really fast, for the ball to leave the pitcher's hand and, and travel uh, to home plate. Now, the hitter has, just with brain processing and the eye to see the ball and send a signal to the brain and all of that, has 200 milliseconds to recognize it and then decide whether he's going to swing or not swing. And then there's another 100 milliseconds about where the bat needs to be placed, and then 150 milliseconds for the swing, and all of that adds up to 450 milliseconds, but the ball takes 400 milliseconds to get to the plate, so he should not be able to hit a fastball. The paradox is, well, he does. We know that people can hit a fastball. We know people can hit the 90, the 95-mile-per-hour fastball, but it's just paradoxical. It doesn't seem, it seems absurd if you're looking at it from the realm of physics, but when you actually go to a baseball game and you get out the speed gun and it says 93-mile-per-hour and he hits it over the fence, you're like, well, I don't know. What's going on there? So paradox, something that doesn't seem to make sense, doesn't seem like it should be true, but when you investigate it, it actually is true. So today, we're going to embrace and look at the paradoxes in in regards to being like Jesus, the paradox of following Christ. Here we go in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. We're going to kind of hit hit upon a couple of things as we navigate through this. So, so the first thing that's going on is, is Jesus is really preparing to go to Jerusalem and go to the cross, and he sends out his disciples, and they're traveling from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. So Herod, a, a political a leader in that time, the Tetrarch, heard about everything that was going on. So he's hearing about Jesus and, and wondering who this Jesus guy is. But it says he was perplexed. Now, being perplexed is what a paradox does to you, because he can't figure out why all these things and stories about Jesus are going on in the area where he has responsibility. And he's perplexed because there's a paradox, because some said that John had been raised from the dead, and he's beheaded this guy, John the Baptist. Some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. So Jesus is a paradox to Herod. He can't figure out, is he a prophet? Is he, a, is he crazy? Is he a threat? Is he who he says he is, right? And it says, I be, he goes, I beheaded John, so who is this I hear such things about? I thought I got rid of that guy. And he wanted to see Jesus, but he does really nothing about it. So he, he doesn't really lean into it. He just moves past it. Uh, but the central question that's posed throughout Luke 9 is this understanding of who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And, and here's what we're going to see. Just, just like the Golly River, just like uh, can, a, can a hitter really hit a fastball? Yeah. A paradox always challenges our perspective, how we see things. It challenges our belief system. It challenges our normal. It challenges our thoughts. It challenges our behavior. It challenges our habits. It always challenges our perspective. Now, some people, like Herod, some people, it threatens. It makes uncomfortable. And so what we do with the paradox that we're going to see moving forward in Luke 9 and the paradox of Jesus it is really a game changer on how we respond to this. If I'm sitting in a raft, rafting down the Golly River, and the tour guide says something paradoxical, 
He says, I'm going to run your raft into a rock, and then it's going to bounce us perfectly down the middle of this rapid, and we're going to be fine. We're going to have a good time. I can say and resist and say, no, I don't believe you. I don't trust you or not. And, and my decision in the moment is crucial to the outcome, right? And so the paradox and what we do with these paradoxes is crucial to our journey with Jesus. So the next story that comes about is the feeding of, of, of thousands of people. And, it, and I'll just summarize it here. We pick it up in verse 16. So Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven. He blessed it, broke them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So he feeds this hungry crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. And while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, this is one of the few miracles we really don't see the crowd's reaction because Luke wants to get to the real question. And, and the real question is the same question Herod asked, and it's this, who is this guy? Because it's sort of paradoxical. Is Jesus a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he who he says he is? So Jesus brings him to this question. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? Well, they answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that you are one of the ancient prophets that have just come back. And, and so Jesus presses them. He said, okay, that's the crowds. He says, but you, who do you say that I am? And, and, and I would submit here, here Rockbridge, and, and wherever you're at spiritually, and I, I would say probably that's the greatest and most significant question that we all have to come up with an answer. And, 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 and it's going to be a paradox. So it's going to seem absurd in moments. It's going to seem threatening sometimes. But this question, who do you say that I am, is really the question that defines which way we go and how our life shapes out. So he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter sort of speaks up on behalf of the group, and he answered, God's Messiah. Now, this is a loaded, I mean, this, there is so much theology. There's thousands of years of Jewish history in this answer. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3. This is the one who's going to save and, or destroy Satan, crush his head. This goes all the way back to David and the one that's going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. This goes all the way back. And it's just, it's, another way it could say is the anointed of God, the Christ of God. So he's saying, Jesus, you're God. Jesus, you're the Jewish Messiah. Jesus, you're the one that has been prophesied and predicted since Genesis 3. And then Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. Now, when Peter says this, this is a paradox. Because, you know, they, they didn't really know what the Messiah would look like. And everybody thought the Messiah would be, you know, this, this knight in shining armor. Everybody thought that it would be, he would be this great political leader and he would come in, in sort of pomp and power and circumstance. And, and, and Jesus is here and, and he comes and he's like born uh, of Joseph and Mary. And they would even make fun of that upbringing. He's from Nazareth, kind of like a little podunk countryside town. And, and he would do things that just didn't fit the view of the majority. And so Jesus' very identity is a paradox. And so he warns them and says, tells them to 
don't say anything. And then he gives another paradox. For the first time in Luke's gospel, he tells them he's going to die. He says it's necessary, it has to happen, that the Son of Man suffer. Whoa, 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 no, 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 Jesus, no, 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 you're the Messiah. You're not going to suffer, you're going to be crowned. You're not going to suffer, you're going to be exalted, you're going to be put on the throne, you're going to rescue us from the Romans. You know, no, 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 not suffer. But he said, no, no, it's necessary. There's the paradox. It's necessary that the Son of Man suffer things and be rejected. No, 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 Jesus, you're going to be accepted. You're going to be embraced. No, no, no. You're going to... By the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And, and then it gets even more paradoxical. You're going to be, Jesus says, I'm going to be killed. No, 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 Jesus. That's absurd. God's Messiah, the one we've been waiting on since Genesis 3, the Son of Man spoken of in Daniel's prophecies, the one that's coming in the class. No, 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 no. You are not going to suffer. You are not going to be killed. And then he says, and be raised. And so this notion of a resurrection on the third day. And that's who Jesus says he is, and it's a paradox. What we, what we under, start to understand is that God's pattern the way God works, the way God reveals, the way God manifests, the way God does things is a paradox. Is a paradox, meaning it's going to seem absurd. It's going to seem contradictory. It's not going to kind of fit into our nice little buckets and our nice little expectations. It's going to be like, hey, we're going to hit a rock. And that's going to take us through the rapids. It's going to be like, hey, hey, no, no, there's no way he can hit that fastball according to physics. And then he gets up and he hits the fastball. And it is important for us, if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to be like Jesus, to see the pattern and know that it's a paradox. And it will take faith, not common sense, not our own understanding. It will take faith to hit the rock and go through the rapid. It will take faith for the hitter to stand up in the box and hit the fastball when the Yale physicist said he says he can't. It will take faith because it's a paradox. Let's see this pattern even more clearly. Let's go to Revelation. And we get a vision in heaven. You know, kind of what's going on in heaven. And let's see it in heaven. He says, look, he's talking to John, getting this vision. He says, look, the lion, the most powerful mammal and animal in the jungle, right? The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the, the one who's descended from David, that king has conquered, he's prevailed, he's won, he's victorious. And then John looks at what this, this tour guide in heaven, this angel's telling him, he says, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Standing in the middle of the throne. Oh, no, 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 no. He's a lion. He's a slaughtered lamb. He's all powerful. He's a weak, slaughtered lamb. Paradox, right? Paradox. In fact, seeing the beauty and the glory of Jesus requires us to see the paradox. And when we see the paradox, 
his excellence, his beauty, his glory, his majesty becomes clearer. Jonathan Edwards, incredible preacher, 1700s, he says this, There is wonderful diversity, paradox, in the excellences of Jesus Christ. Look look at some of the paradoxes that Edwards will point out about Jesus. His glory, humility, majesty, and meekness. Obedience to the Father, yet His dominion is over all the cosmos. He's all-powerful, and yes, he submits himself to the power of Pilate and the Romans. And it's in seeing Jesus that, and in seeing and understanding Christ this way, in these paradoxes, that his beauty and his glory are opened up to us. Let's go back to part one. Let's go back to part one, okay? Remember we said we all want to be like someone? And we put their poster in our room. And we put them on our screensaver of our smartphone, you know, the athlete, the, the musician, the artist, you know, the gra- our granddad's watch because we love granddad and we don't want to be like him when we grow up. And it reminds us of that. It's when we see Christ in these paradoxes that are so beautiful, that are so kind of amazing, and that oh, happens. That's who I'm supposed to be like. That's who I'm supposed to pattern my life after. And that's what propels us in this journey of being like Jesus, following Jesus, and being his disciple. We've been showing this the whole six weeks, right? So into our head, we get this understanding of Jesus. And in our heart, we start seeing his beauty and his majesty and his glory. And and we start to value that. See, see, the reason, like, you know, you want to be like this great athlete or this great musician or your grandfather is because you see stuff. It comes in truths that come into your mind, impressions that come into your mind, and your heart starts to cherish that. And so you start wanting to pattern your life after that person. So when we see the, we hear these truths of Jesus and our heart starts to say, that's the one I'm wired to worship. That's the one I'm supposed to be like. That's the one that can satisfy my needs. That's the one that solves my problems. I want to be like him and you want to put him on the throne of your heart and no one else on earth compares and then you start living that out that's discipleship and so as Jesus introduces this paradox who do people say that I am it's kind of paradoxical isn't it well you're the Messiah you're the anointed well I must go and suffer and I must go and be killed and right after he says that he gives them a paradoxical pattern for their life And it's patterned after his life. Be like Jesus, right? Here's what he says. So he repeat, you know, I'm just repeating this. The Son of Man's gonna suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be raised on the third day. And then the next thing he says is he says, This is me, let me talk about you. So then he says to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anyone wants to pattern their life after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to be a Christian, let him deny himself, say no to self-exaltation, say no to self-reliance, say no to selfie. That's hard. We're in a selfie culture, aren't we, church? Say no to all of that. And take up his cross... Take up his method of execution, the cross, death, shame, suffering, daily, 
and follow me. Now, for people who are wired towards self-preservation and self-exaltation and self-reliance, and hey, what about me? Am I going to get what I want? What about me? Who's taking care of me? What about me? Am I going to get my way? For people, that's our natural bent as natural born sinners. When Jesus says that, it's like, hey, you're going to hit the rock and then it's going to bounce you through the rap. No, Jesus, I don't. This is the paradox of salvation. This is the paradox of discipleship. This is the paradox of being like Jesus is we got to start out and say no to ourselves, which is screaming inside of all of us, me, me me right it's paradox for whoever wants to save his life will lose it no 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 no, no. that doesn't make any sense Jesus but whoever loses his life because of me remember this the glorious excellencies of Jesus So whoever loses life because of me will save it. Paradox, right? You don't save your life by losing it. You save your life by looking out for your life. Paradox. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Oh. So so Jesus, you're saying that if I spend all my life looking out for me, I'll actually lose me? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. For whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. So that's a, that, that's, this is all, I mean, this is all tough, right? It's a paradox. By definition, a paradox is tough. By definition, it takes faith, right? I mean, if the Yale physicist is right, then no batter in Major League Baseball ought to pick up a bat and go try to swing it. It takes faith. I I can hit the fastball. It's a paradox. It's tough. But what does Jesus do? Here's what he says now. My pattern is the paradox, but power and promise are in the paradox. Power and promise. You gain your life by losing it because of me. You gain your life by losing it. Your life is found in denying yourself. And picking up a cross and following me. Promise. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when it counts. But if you're not ashamed of me, you're going to be with me forever. So, remember, we're, we're, we're disciples today. Or we're not today. And disciples have to embrace the paradox. So remember, here's here's our life change paradigm. So Jesus has given us some stuff to think about. It challenges our perspective. Every paradox does. But he's given us a promise. Remember, your heart's going to chase a promise. 
There's good promises and there's bad promises. But when these truths about Jesus and his beauty and excellence, you gain your life by losing it, but you gain your life. And Jesus will honor you versus be ashamed of you when it counts. So he says, will you follow me? And that brings us to the third point. We have to embrace the paradox, which means we have to choose to lose, don't we? Now, it's like Americans, right? Who wants to lose? Nobody wants to lose their soccer match. Nobody wants their football team to lose. Nobody wants to lose the business deal. Nobody wants to lose anything. We want to gain, keep, and add. But embracing the paradox means we have to choose to lose. And, and, and so, so let, me, let me put it even more. Anytime we are, are following Christ, there's going to be a sense of loss. There's going to be a sense of, I, man, I feel like I'm about to give something up that's kind of important. So when, I, when I'm you know, floating down the Gauley River and the guide says, hey, we're going to paddle into this rock, I gotta lose my what I think is my mind, my common sense, and my sanity. But I gotta trust the guide and embrace the paradox. If we pulled all every major league baseball player and put them all in this room and had a Yale physicist stand up here and say, hey, look, it takes 400 milliseconds for that fastball to cross the plate, and it takes your body, your brain, and your arms 450 milliseconds. So don't even bother. If, they're, if, the, if the pitcher's throwing fastballs, you just take it and just it'll be a strike. They're like, no, I, th- I, th- I think we can hit the fastball. You got to embrace the paradox. And, and physics loses or common sense. So you have to choose to lose. But, but here's the beautiful thing, okay? Here's the beautiful thing. The part that loses, listen, is the part that keeps you and me from being the you and me God wants us to be. The, the, the me and you that make a mess of things. The me and you that hurt our wife, hurt our kids, hurt our friends. That's what Jesus is inviting us to lose. L- l- listen to Romans. As long as you did what you felt like doing, right? Keeping your life. Not losing it. Keeping your life. Ignoring God. And God's a paradox. You didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. You just did what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it the way you wanted to do it. But do you call that a free life? You were really a slave. What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Because now you know what counts. Now you know where real life is. Now you know life in Christ is the best life. Where did it get you? A dead end. And and so what is he saying? What are we saying? When I die to myself, I become my best self. I will say that again. This is Christianity. This is discipleship. This is be like Jesus. When we say and invite you and say our mission statement to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ, that means we have to disconnect ourselves from life by me, myself, and I. 
in order to gain the best life, the real life, the eternal life, the abundant life. So when I die to myself, I become my best self. So this is such a critical part of our discipleship, our be like Jesus, our life in Christ, that Jesus gave us and even modeled for us a great illustration of this. And it's called baptism. Baptism illustrates Every, the paradox. I mean, th- think about even baptism is paradoxical. Hey, get into a body of water and let a person hold, take your head and put you under the water. I mean, when my brother did that to me, I wanted to fight him growing up, right? So why do we do that? Why is baptism a paradox? Go under the water. We're not made to go under the water. Because baptism illustrates the paradox. Listen, Colossians 2, 12. For when you were buried with Christ, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Baptism is a symbol, a sign that internally you have died to the world, died to yourself. And with him you were raised to new life. So we come back out of the water and that's you saying, I'm a new me. I'm the best me. I'm the me in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, forever. Because you trusted, trusted, put your faith in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's a paradox. Raised the Christ, the Messiah who suffered, who was killed, but that power raised him from the dead. So you died, you went underwater, you were raised to new life, and now you're living for Christ, with Christ, and by Christ. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet dealt with, cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Right? So baptism is not just something we do to check a box. It's not something we do to say, hey, yay me. It's not something we do because, you know, we're church people or we're Christian people. It's something we do because Jesus told us to do it. And it teaches us and reminds us of the paradox that daily I have to be buried with Christ. Daily I have to live for Christ. Which means (coughs) I don't live for myself. But there's power and promise in that paradox. So the paradox of the paradox is this. I'm going to give you one last paradox. I have to embrace it to experience it. I have to embrace the paradox to experience it. Now, here's what this means. I don't know the paradox. I don't experience the promise. I don't experience the joy. I don't experience the peace. I don't experience the power until I live by the paradox. So, So here's what this means. Some of us are just sitting here waiting for God to give us a feeling, waiting for God to give us a sign, waiting for God to let us feel it before we live it. We have to live it before we get it. We have to obey the paradox before we experience the promise of the paradox. So so, 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 illustration. If I'm rafting down the Gali River and and the guide says, hey, we're going to hit this rock and it's going to bounce with the rapids, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. And I, and I paddle backwards or I resist the guide. And then what happens? The whole thing malfunctions. 
If, if, I'm the, you know, if I'm the hitter and the physicist says you can't hit the fastball, I'm like, yeah, you're right, I can't hit it. I'll never hit a fastball. So we will never experience the promise of eternal life, the promise of life in Christ, the power of the paradox until we start to live by the paradox. So we can't say, God, give me a sign. God, give me a feeling. God, paint it in the clouds. God's like, Here's the, here it is. Here's who I am. I am a suffering Messiah. I am an exalted king of kings. I am a lion. I am a slaughtered lamb. I am all of these things for you. I am humbled. I am exalted. I am king. I am servant. I am all powerful, and yet I'll wash your feet. Embrace me. Follow me. See the beauty of me in the paradox. Let me grab your heart, and then you live by the paradox. You deny yourself for me, and you'll get life, the best life. The life I had in mind when I made you. The life I died to give you. It's what Paul said, right? Galatians 2.12. I have been crucified with Christ, he says. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. All right. So what I'd like to ask you to do is I'm going to give you about five of the big paradoxes of disciples. Five paradoxes I think we have to embrace. Embrace before we experience of disciples. So, so listen, in your seat somewhere, under your seat, in front of your seat, whatever, there's a blue next step card. And, and I'm going to share these five things with you. And, and what I want to ask is this. Probably God's going to speak to you. And, 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 and you might need to share what he's saying with us, with our pastors, with our prayer team. Or you just might need to take that card home with you and just you know, put that on your mirror. Put it inside your Bible. Put it somewhere. Talk to your wife. Talk to your small group about it. But, but I just don't think any of us can be the same when we leave today. Because of the paradox. It's our pattern, it's power, it's promise. But we have to embrace it. So let's look at these five. Five paradoxes for Jesus' students, for God's children. All right? <clears throat> the first is the gospel paradox, the good news paradox. The preaching of the cross is, I know, nonsense to those who are involved in this dying world. But to us who are being saved from that death, it is nothing less than the power of God. It doesn't make sense for me to stand up here and say, none of us can save himself or herself. It doesn't make sense for me to say, you can't be good enough. You aren't good enough. It doesn't make sense to our pride or to our worldly thinking to say, you can't earn it. No one deserves it. God doesn't owe you anything but hell. Doesn't make a bit of sense. There's power and promise in the paradox that Jesus died my death and died your death. He died in my place and in your place to pay a penalty I can't pay, to pay a debt I can't overcome. And he's willing to put his life for my life and make an exchange with me. 
He'll take my sin, I'll get his righteousness. And he'll put his spirit inside of me so I can begin to live for him. But I have to die to me. Have you really ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and embraced the paradox of a cross and that it's God on that cross when it should have been me and you on that cross? The greatness paradox. Everybody wants to be great. They were silent from the way they'd been arguing about who should be the greatest. Jesus sat down and called the twelve and said, If any man wants to be first or greatest, he must be last and be the servant of all. Be the servant of all. You know what makes a church great? The people of the church willing to do more than sit. The people of the church willing to serve. At Rockbridge, we call those people bridge builders because they're just building bridges of, of love and service so people can see Christ in them. And, and every one of our campuses, you know, we need bridge builders. We need people who say, How do, hey, I want to be great the way Jesus was great because he came to serve. The good deeds paradox. Carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. You see, when we're born into this world, and we're, and we're me, myself, and I people until we die to me, myself, and I, here's the dominant question. Will I get what I want? Will I get what I want? Will I get what I want today? Will I get what I want out of marriage? Will I get what I want from this, from that? You know, that's, that's the dominant question. When we die to that and Christ lives through us, be like Jesus, when Christ lives through us, you know what? We, 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 you know, we no longer ask, will I get what I want? I think one of the questions we begin asking is, what good can God use me to bring about? See, if I'm carrying a burden, it's not, well, I get what I want. If I'm not getting tired of doing good, I'm asking a different question than, will I get what I want? That's a paradox. The generosity paradox. What we do with our money, right? You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If we looked and our wallets and our checkbooks. How many of us have embraced the paradox? Are we supporting our local church? Are we supporting other people? Have we embraced the paradox? Now there's a promise. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But let me, let me just say this. You don't experience that promise unless you embrace this paradox. And then finally, glory. You know, we're wired for glory. Oh, glory. Wow, glory. Here's the paradox. How can you believe, Jesus is saying this, since you accept glory from one another, worldly, earthly glory, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. God wants you to be glorified with Him forever. 
not to just have glory that goes away. So there's five paradoxes. There's more, but those are the big five I felt like we should talk about today. Which one has the Holy Spirit of a holy God grabbed you and said, hey, that's the one. Let's work on that one together. Not from a place of condemnation, but from a place of being a student, a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus. And then let me just pray this over us. We'll close. Campus pastors will come up and give you some, some, some next steps, next thoughts. Second, Corinthians, Second Thessalonians says this. We pray that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may become more glorious through you. Wow. More glorious through us, God. Yeah. And that you may share something of his glory all through the grace of our Lord God and Jesus Christ the Lord. Let me pray. God, I just beg that you do something in all of us today. That we see and embrace these paradoxes. And we live for your promises. And God, that indeed, as we just read, that Jesus Christ in Dalton and Calhoun, Chatsworth, Ringgold, Cleveland, Hickson, that Jesus Christ may become more glorious through us and that we may share something of his glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.